Hi, I'm Lisa Levin. And I'm Julie Sapper. We're the co-founders of Run Farther and Faster and co-hosts of the podcast under the same name. While we started this podcast as a Boston Marathon-focused podcast based on the experiences from our combined 31 finishes, we cover all things running-related. We've coached runners of all levels and goal distances all over the world for over 13 years. Thanks so much for joining us. We are so excited you're here. Hi, Julie. Well, hello, Lisa. Happy New Year and welcome back from Argentina. Thank you. Happy New Year. I feel like we've lived a whole lifetime between now and the last time we spoke and last time we recorded a podcast together because I know you um, thank, thank, thank you to you for um, taking some of the load off when it's been a little bit crazy the last few weeks. I know you've recorded on your own. So I feel like it's been a lifetime since we've recorded together. So it's really nice to be back. It totally is nice to be back. I've missed you tremendously and I have so enjoyed following your adventures in Argentina and we're going to get into it today. Today is an episode dedicated to your um, adventures competing in the Pan American Games in Argentina. But before we do, we just want to do like a little update on some things we're offering for the new year and just update everyone. First thing we want to say is uh, thanks to all of you because we are still doing this podcast. We started in January of 2019. Yeah. And it's really amazing that we are here and 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 still doing this and it's so much fun. It's still novel to us. We love like love doing this podcast and we wouldn't be doing it if we didn't have listeners because we we do see we have listeners. So that's why we continue to do it. So thanks to all of you for not only listening but so many of you have written in over the years and have approached us at uh, Boston and other races indicating that you listen. It means the world to us. So thanks for allowing us the opportunity to talk to you each week. And to that end, we will be back in Boston this year. We will be hosting a panel again with our dear friend, Cherie Louise Turner, who is the host of Women's Running Stories podcast. And we are so looking forward to doing that again and so grateful to the BAA for allowing us the opportunity to host another panel. More information on the day. We're crossing our fingers that it will once again be on a Sunday, uh, but we will of course let you all know as soon as we know. And Lisa, do you wanna share our other uh, update on some of our services? Yeah, so we've been trying to figure out how we can, um, you know, help as many runners as we can. We get a lot of inquiries. We get a lot of people reaching out to us. And um, we have said this before, but we limit how many runners we take on because it's really important to us to give everyone individual attention. And we've figured out kind of over the years where our, um, you know, where our, our our point is of, of where we can really make sure we give everyone individual attention. So um, right now, I think we're probably, our rosters are probably full until um, early spring. So we really still want to be able to help runners though. And so we were kind of thinking, how can we do that? And how can we do that on maybe a smaller scale or a shorter term scale? And uh, we talked about, you know, we've had a lot of people ask us for um, just race tips as they get closer to their marathons. We may not be coaching them, but they may say like, oh my gosh, I'm getting close to my marathon. And all of a sudden I realize I don't know, I don't have a good execution plan. I don't know. I've, I've trained, I feel ready, or maybe I have, maybe I've trained and I don't feel ready, or I didn't have a perfect training cycle. What do I do? Race is coming. What do I do? And um, for all of our run farther and faster clients, we do very comprehensive race prep um, the week before a race. Um, 
we get on a call or on a Zoom with our runners and we really go through everything from um, the week leading up to race. Uh, you know, we use the advice that we have from our dietitians on carb loading. Um, we talk about fueling during the race. We talk about um, the pacing plan. Uh, we talk about the course. We talk about, um, you know, all, all sort of the details, all of the, of the preparation. And, and we do that for our clients, but um, uh, we are going to now offer that as kind of an a la carte uh, offering for non-clients, um, marathon race prep. So, um, it, it will be a marathon race prep session, about a 45 ish minute call or however long, you know, somebody needs to make sure they feel prepared and it will include everything that we go over with our runners, um, as race day gets, gets near. Um, so we are going to offer that for $50 a session. And, um, like I said, a la carte, um, uh, runners can reach out to us. We'll add it to our website, but, uh, you can also email us at Julie and Lisa at run farther and faster.com to find out more, ask questions. If you've got questions and set up, um, a time as, you know, we, we do have some marathons coming up, but most of the marathons will start to, you know, approach as we get closer to spring. So if that's something that interests you for your, for your um, winter or your spring marathon or in the future, um, reach out to us. And like I said, we'll put more information on our website and we'll put that out on our social media um, outlets. And, um, and we're just, uh, like I said, it's, uh, it's our way of being able to help more people and get more people into our, into our circle, our run farther and faster circle um, when, you know, who, who may not want have full, you know, full coaching may not need the full coaching. Um, and we may not have, like I said, the, the room in our roster at, at the moment. Yes. And to that end, if you are interested in working with us on a monthly basis for our individualized coaching, private coaching, we just ask, even though we just mentioned right now, our rosters are full, we, we always are able to find room for folks. We just need to, um, sometimes plan. the plan. So if, if you are interested, reach out to us now and, and we can talk to you and see if, um, you think we're a good fit for you and vice versa, and then put you on our schedule. And it may not be this month or next month, but we can get you on our roster. Um, we just want to make sure we're able to serve everyone who's currently on our roster. And we don't want to overextend ourselves because that would not be good for anyone. So that is a way we can offer sort of an enhancement to those who are not already on our rosters. And hopefully there are folks out there that would be interested in, in receiving some additional tips before towing the start line. So let's get started. Lisa, why don't you share with everyone why you were in Argentina and um, what you did? All right. Well, uh, where do I start? Um, so uh, every four years, um, there is an international uh, competition for Jewish athletes called the Pan-American Maccabi Games. Um, every four years alternating are the uh, world Maccabi Games, which are in Israel. Um, also, there are European games, which are smaller scale games that are also, I think, kind of also alternating every four years. So it's uh, or maybe it's every two years. So, um, you know, they're they're. Uh, uh, regular events um, that have been going on for many, many years. And um, 20 years ago in 2003, um, in December of 2003, going to January of 2004, I um, participated in the Pan Am Maccabi Games in Santiago, Chile, as a part, as a, as a member of the um, half marathon team. And uh, I won the gold that year for the open um, athletes. Uh, athletes are typically divided um, into open and masters. Um, and there are also juniors and the junior athletes as well, but um, uh, the half marathon does not have junior junior athletes. Doesn't have a junior athlete category, um, but I won the gold medal, and that was really like a, a highlight of my 
of my running career, of my of really of my life. And um, we were talking about this offline, but the experience is is obviously centered around athletics, but it is so much more. The takeaway has always for me been so much more. And that's what I took away 20 years ago, or whereas the experience was that feeling of um, being in a high level athletic competition with you know, all other athletes that also happen to be Jewish from all around the world. And the camaraderie that comes with that, like just even though you're competing against people, that feeling of, of camaraderie and, and unity was is, was something that just stuck with me for a really long time. And I've always stayed involved with um, Maccabi USA is the organizing body for the team for the U.S. delegation. So when you apply for a team. Um, a sport and a team and a games. Uh, you apply through Maccabi USA. There's a selection process. Each team is allowed to take a certain number of athletes. So it's a competitive selection process. Some sports have tryouts. Um, some sports just it's an application and a resume um, for running. That that's that's the case. And and our team actually the team is actually the endurance team. So there are um, there's cycling, there's running, and there's uh, triathlon. And those are all fall under the endurance athlete uh, the endurance team. And so. And now- um, you know, before you, how, how, if someone's interested, what is their criteria to apply? And I, I just want to put it out there for anyone who hasn't heard of this. I always call this the Jewish Olympics. Yes. So, so the criteria is first that you do have to be Jewish, um, uh, you know, and identify as, as Jewish. Um, uh, second is, you know, you have to be competitive in, in your, in your, in your sport. And again, it really varies from sport to sport. So there are, I think, forget how many sports I'd have to look at my app, but there are a lot of sports, but on the main sword, soccer, you know, team sports, soccer, basketball, volleyball. Um, uh, then there's uh, individual sports like tennis, although tennis does have doubles, tennis, golf. Uh, and then like I mentioned, the endurance sports. Um, uh, so it really runs the gamut. There's even, there's table tennis. Uh, there is judo. There was um, gymnastics. So rhythmic, rhythmic gymnastics, um, really like it. I should pull up my app and rattle through the, the sports, but many, many sports. And if you go on um, uh, Maccabi USA, uh, that website, they, they will have for each um, competition, they will list the sports that are going for like European games, I think are fewer. You know, each delegation decides which how many athletes they can take and which sports they're going to bring. So, um, you know, some delegations may not bring uh, table tennis and some may bring table tennis. Um, and there were over um, 22 countries uh, represented at um, the Pan Am Games, over 4000 athletes. Um, so uh, I, I don't even remember, probably um, about a year ago, actually, I remember. Uh, I, I think I don't even remember where I saw it, probably on the you know, I mean, like I said, I've stayed involved with Maccabi USA. I think I saw that the Pan Am games were coming up again. And one of the sports being offered that was not offered that I remember 20 years ago was cycling. And as listeners may know, my, my son is a very um, competitive national level competitive cyclist. And, uh, you know, he, that caught his eye and he said, cycling, he said, well, how, you know, how old do you have to be? And cycling was only offered for open and masters athletes and open is 18 and over and masters is 35 and over. Uh, and um, he's technically 17. So we kind of had a question of what would he be uh, eligible uh, for the team. And uh, we reached out to Maccabi USA and we did find out that he could, as long as I was, his parent was okay with him being classified as an open athlete, not a junior athlete that has um, the supervision of a junior athlete with a coach and a manager and somebody who's keeping eye, eye on them, that he would be eligible to compete, um, you know, even though he was, he, he actually technically is cycling racing age 18 this year in 2024 also. So they said, nope, as long as I was okay with that, that he could, he could apply for the open team. So when he did that, I said, well, if you're doing that, 
I'm applying, I'm going to apply too. And he said, well, why can't I just go myself? I said, I'm going to go back. If I can go back, I'm going to go back. So I applied for um, the uh, half marathon team and he applied for cycling. And uh, I think it was in April, uh, early April of this year, or maybe late March, uh, we both found out that we both made our respective teams. And that to me was like, wow, you know, 20 years later, here's the opportunity to go back uh, with, with my son. So um uh, we left on um, our, our flights left on uh, the day after Christmas. So December 26th, we flew from uh, JFK airport. We we had the um, option. So he has to, as an open athlete, he flies on a delegation flight and they had flights from JFK, from Philadelphia, from Miami, from Dallas. And you kind of chose your hub and you had to get to that hub um, to, to, to fly. Um, so uh, he, Philly is closest to us, but Philly was a connecting flight to get to Argentina. And Alex was a little worried about um, the bikes making a connecting flight and having an extra, um, uh, you know, complication. So we chose to fly uh, from JFK. But instead of flying from DC to JFK, which would involve three bikes, and the, the reason being Alex took two bikes, um, there were two cycling events, uh, time trial and road race. And um, somewhere along the process, I asked if I would be able to compete in um, cycling and the cycling uh, chair approved me to do one of their events, uh, the time trial. So I had a bike as well. So, um, so that actually is sort of important to the story because um, we had inquired with the games organizers whether I could, as a half marathon athlete, do a cycling event. And they said, no, technically I could not, but if I was classified as a cyclist, I could enter the half marathon because the half marathon was an open event and it was open to all athletes and even external, like, you know, if you wanted to, a local person wanted to enter because they want to make the race large. So they said, no, but if you're classified as a cyclist, then you can do the half marathon. So really without thinking that through too much, I said, sure, why not? Um, it does have ramifications in the end that'll, that'll make sense, um, later. So, um, so I was technically classified. My credentials were master cyclist. Um, so I was a cyclist for these games, which is sort of, uh, sort of funny, but, um, and Alex was, you know, a full-fledged uh, open cyclist. So we um, went to JFK. Uh, we actually drove up on Christmas Day, stayed by JFK with a car full of bike boxes and luggage. And somehow, miraculously, I don't know how, we made it. We made it to the airport. We got um, on, we were on separate flights because I, again, he was on a delegation flight. And as a master's athlete, um, we were responsible for our own flights, um, which I should mention kind of as a side note, but also very important um, part of our um, being an athlete on on, on Team USA, you do have to fundraise. You have to raise. They don't pay for you to go, so you do have to, you know, raise funds. And they are significant, and they are higher for Masters athletes on the assumption that Masters athletes are more established and have more networks and and pay the amount themselves. Um, uh, we were certainly more than willing and absolutely did pay a lot of our obligation ourselves, but there was no way, um, unfortunately, as much as uh, we make as running coaches, there was no way I was going to be able to really comfortably afford um, the the amount that it was, um, you know, a, a really large amount that for the two of us to go. And so I did fundraising and um, am eternally grateful. Um, really, it, I mean, I get kind of choked up when I talk about it. I, we could not have done this without the help of our friends and our family families. And um, Julie, you as run farther and faster individually and as our, our organization, our, you know, our business run farther and faster, we're extremely supportive. And that to me, like I said, that like chokes me up a little bit because I know we couldn't have done it without, without help. And it, it's hard to fundraise when really you feel like you're fundraising to send yourself to uh, another country and compete in, in, in the games. It's almost, you know, it's, it feels, um, I feel it's hard to ask for that. It's not going to a 
uh, now the organization is a nonprofit. Obviously, is a nonprofit, but it's not a it's not a tax deductible donation because it's going to direct expenses. So that's hard to ask people to to make a donation, and it's um, it was extremely humbling. And like I said, eternally, eternally grateful for this opportunity because really what it turned out to be was um, something I don't think either of us will ever, you know, ever, ever forget. So, um, so flights, my, my flight, I had to book myself. That was an additional expense on, on that was not included in our fundraising. Uh, Alex's flight was, was included. So he was on a, on a team flight. I was on a different flight. Um, and, and somehow again, we, we made it, we got to, um, we got to Argentina with all the bikes, uh, you know, all in one piece and, um, and, uh, you know, started, started our, our experience there. How long is the flight to Buenos Aires and talk about the time change? Cause I think this is very interesting. Yeah. So there, there isn't much of a time change. It is, um, about a 10 hour flight. Um, they say 11 hours, but really I think both ways it was a little bit less than 10 hours. It is a long flight. I will say I splurged and I upgraded myself from economy to premium economy, best money ever spent. If you are doing an international flight and you have that option, I was on American airlines. Oh my God. It was the best. It was much more comfortable. I mean, it might've been just fine in, in coach, but it was very comfortable. Um, it was, it, it was worth that. I think it was $175 each leg of the flight to, to upgrade. So on the way there, on the way back, definitely best money I spent. Um, so, uh, so it was, it was a long flight and it's overnight. So I didn't sleep very well on the way down. And so you arrive in the morning, right? You leave in the, at night, you get there in the morning, um, in it, during, uh, during our standard time, they are two hours ahead of us. Argentina is two hours ahead. So we here in the United States, we're two hours behind. So, um, yeah, that first day was a doozy. Like it was, you just feel like you're running on total fumes and adrenaline. Um, Alex, like I said, had gotten there before me. He had already been transported to the hotel. He had texted me before I even landed to say he was at the hotel. His bikes were built. Luckily, you know, Alex is a mechanic. So having a, a mechanic handy was amazing. Like he broke our bikes down, packed them, put them back together when we were um, at the, when we got into Argentina and um, he had already connected with um, his roommate, which was really cool. Um, you know, there aren't that many 18 year old Jewish cyclists, I think, in that would you know be participating in the Pan Am Games. A lot, most of the cyclists actually competing were older and, um, you know, older than 18 for sure. And it just happened to be that his roommate was an 18 year old cyclist, also a senior in high school um, from Hot Springs, Arkansas West. Um, who, amazing kid. I just like adore this kid. And um, so he had told me, you know, yep, I've got a roommate. He's another cyclist my age. And um, it, it was really exciting to hear that. So um, I got matched with a roommate. I also got a roommate, which was, you know, after how many years has it been since I had a roommate other than you and our, on our fun trips to, to Boston really don't have roommates anymore. So I was a little bit nervous. And I have to say that was probably one of the biggest highlights of, of the trip for me was my roommate. Um, when I finally got into the hotel took a really long time to get on buses. You know, when you do these um, group organized things, you're, you're at the mercy of the buses and the transportation and a lot of the logistics. So that was a little bit challenging, but I met a lot of athletes on the way from the airport to the hotel, became friends uh, for the rest of the trip. Um, a lot of master's athletes, because again, we were kind of the on the other flights that were coming in. Um, so I met a lot of master's athletes on the master's basketball team, master's soccer team, um, and, uh, so, uh, you know, got to the hotel and wasn't quite sure who my roommate was going to be. My roommate had already gotten there and her stuff was already in the room and I didn't even, she wasn't there. So I wasn't sure who it was eventually ended up meeting my roommate, my roommate, I adore, and I adore my roommate's story. She is not a runner, um, but she is something much cooler. She is a basketball player and she is our age. So she's 48 years old. And, uh, there was no master's woman 
basketball team. There was an open women's basketball team, which means anybody over 18. So my roommate, Carolyn, who's 48 years old um, and has children our children's age, uh, was on the open women's basketball team with women uh, who could have been her daughters who are, you know, in the- That's incredible. That but is what's incredible. even better, what's even better is that her daughter, who is my daughter's age, who's Kira's age, who's, uh, you know, 15, 16 years old, um, uh, uh, was competing as well. She made the open, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the U18 uh, basketball, uh, girls basketball team. And uh, the issue they had was that there were not enough um, U18 girls teams to have a, a full competition for those um, for those uh, girls, U18, so junior teams. So they combined the competition um, with the open women's team. So the U18 girls teams were going to be competing against the open women's teams, which if you're following along, means that my roommate's daughter and my roommate were competing against each other. Their, their teams were playing each other, which I thought was um, just really, really neat. I, I thought it was cool that Alex and I were getting to be competing in the same sport, but here my roommate and her daughter were um, in the same sport and competing against, playing against each other. They tipped off against each other in their first game. Wait, and um, then share, share, share the results of the game. That's okay. Awesome. Well, there were many games, many games, but I will say uh, my roommate, so I ended up meeting my roommate, adored, like she, when she came back to the room, um, her name is Carolyn. And I uh, just, clicked with her right away just think she is just the most awesome person and um she was telling me um after their first game they beat the girls the the open women beat the girls the first day and she said that her daughter came up to her afterwards and said you're better than I thought you would be she said which was probably the the, the best compliment that a mother could get from her teenage daughter so I thought that was really cool that you know her daughter admitted she said you're better than I thought you would be that's and again, amazing Carolyn, Carolyn was playing <laughs> on a team with 20, 20 year old women. Like, and this is, so I will tell, so kind of flashing forward, they do, um, and they ended up playing each other again in the semifinals. And I watched it from the hotel. I, I wanted to try to go to the hub to watch it, but I didn't catch a bus in time. So they live streamed the, um, the, their game. So I eagerly sat by the pool watching every moment of this live stream. And I just thought it was really funny. The commentators were very fixated on the fact that it was a mother, mother and daughter playing each other on, on the two different teams. So they talked about that a lot and they talked about um, that dynamic. But then they, they probably mentioned about um, 50 times in the course of the of the commentary that um, Carolyn was the oldest, you know, 48 year old on the open team and how she was holding her own. Not only was she holding her own, she was playing pretty much all of the playing time and scoring a, a lot. And she's just she's just a badass, um, amazing, amazing athlete and, and mother and. Um, it was, it was so cool to watch. So yeah, it was just funny. I was just telling her, like, if, if I, if I was like taking a shot every time, or if I had a dollar for every time they said, um, and, 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 uh, you know, Carolyn Dorfman, who's 48 on the open team, the oldest on the open team. And can you believe she's 48 and she's holding her own and how many times they mentioned her age and that she was on the open team. That was the theme of the entire, um, the entire, uh, you know, the commentary on on the game and they did beat the girls again so um her team ended up playing argentina in uh the finals and the argentinian team actually is a, a semi-pro team that plays together all the time in argentina and they did they they held their own though they did lose to their the argentinian team by like three points which was amazing but they were even within you know back and forth with them um so carolyn's team took silver in in that competition and that so that was so so that's my roommate and she was it was awesome to have her as a roommate she, sorry to interrupt. did she ever consider playing in the wnba or is no, she played in college and that she hadn't played in like 
years. I mean, she plays like, you know, for fun outside, but she said she had not played in like 20 years. And, um, and it was neat, small world, you know, coincidence that her husband went to Emory one year different from me. So we had that in common and, um, it was just fun. Like, you know, you never know who you're going to get for a roommate. And I was just, I thought I was in awe of her and thought she was um, awesome. So that was um, one aspect of it. Um, and then we had the team, we had our, our team, the endurance team was made up of open and masters, um, runners, cyclists, and triathletes. Um, and, uh, it was really nice to see Alex, um, have a kind of a cohort of younger people. Um, the open athletes were mostly, um, collegiate runners, um, or newly graduated collegiate runners. One of the runners is a second year in law school. One just graduated grad school. So they, but they were collegiate runners, very, very talented and just really nice, nice people. And it was nice to see Alex kind of go off and as I, I stepped back, I said, you know what, this isn't, you know, I want him to have his experience here and they would go to dinner and they would hang out at night and they would hang out together. Um, and that's really, like I said, um, I'll talk about the athletic competitions, but what I end up taking away from this is, is the people. And the, um, I was telling you about, um, you know, I kind of, uh, the master's athletes certainly were, you know, I, I saw them when we hung out, but we all kind of had our own things going on. A lot of master's athletes come with their spouses and go do you know, go do tours with their spouses or spend time with their spouses during the day. So it's not like the open team or it's not like being on a team like basketball or soccer or um, any of the volleyball where you're with your team and your coach a lot and you do things together. Our team, we ran together. We would meet in the morning to, you know, do a shakeout run or to at least start our runs together because a lot of us are different paces. Um, So we at least meet together. Um, We had some team meetings, um, some of our meals we'd have together, but we weren't um, competing every day as a team, right? That most of the teams are, have either a practice competition every day as a team and they're um, traveling in a bus as their team to their to their hub and they're eating their meals together at that hub together they're practicing they're playing a game that it's a little different for endurance athletes so I was sort of on my own but not really because everywhere you go you sit down and you talk to athletes and I was telling you offline I, I ended up making my way on a bus to watch uh, the men's masters 55 plus soccer team play one of their matches sort of as a mistake on the wrong, not on the wrong bus. I thought it was going one place. It went, anyway, it was, it all worked out great because I ended up becoming, um, you know, very close with a, a lot of them and um, a few in particular that were just really have become such good friends and, and made my experience like, so, you know, they would always include me, which was nice if they were going to dinner or going to sit at the pool, they would make sure that um, they would check in with me to see if I had something to do and um, met a, a woman, um, her name's Janet, who was a, you know, is a master's a swimmer who had a really compelling story. She's actually a, a kidney donor and um, she takes place not only, she participates not only in Pan Am games, but also in the transplant games, which I had never heard about before. Um, and she did really well at swimming. So it was nice to get to know her and hang out with her. So really the, the, the connections and that going into this it's sort of what I always said is that that's what I, I remembered most from 20 years ago and that's what I wanted again was having that that experience of, of the you know camaraderie and um uh and, and and also with the with the other athletes from the other teams especially um you know at the athletic competitions at um so I end up doing the um, cycling time trial and the half marathon and I'll get into that a little bit more in a second but when we go to these you know the 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 athletes that we met um even despite language barriers um you know my broken Spanish their broken English um, we would just hug each other, like, and, you know, after a competition or even before a competition, we just like give hugs and just high fives and great job. And when you pass each other on the course, um, cause a lot of courses were out and backs, you know, great job, thumbs up. Like it was just such a good feeling after, um, the half marathon, all of the runners would get together. We, everyone want to take pictures together and we'd call the photographer over and more people would run into the picture and hugs and then finding each other on Instagram uh, afterwards and following each other. And, um, I'm still, you know, that, that's what I remember from 20 years ago. And that's, like I said, what what I'm going to take away the most from this experience. 
how many athletes total um, compete in the games? Like how many, if you, you know, like how many masters athletes, how many open athletes and what countries are represent, were represented? So there are over 4,000 athletes um, total. I don't know the breakdown of masters and I don't have that, but I can tell you we have an app um, that uh, gives us all of the um, sports and all of the delegations. So the delegations, um, uh, there were over 20, but um, you know, Argentina, Australia, Brazil, Canada, well, Canada was not there actually. Canada, interestingly, decided to withdraw their delegation after October 7th. Um, they decided not to come. And we actually had, I heard 5% of our delegation, the US delegation decided if they did not feel safe. Um, I will tell you, we had security beyond security. And um, I mentioned to you offline, we did have one, probably didn't hear it in the news here, but we certainly heard it in the news there. And um, a lot of the Israeli news networks were carrying it, but um, about two or three days before the end of the games, there were arrests made in Argentina um, on suspected terrorist plots and they were tying the plots to the games. Um, the news articles will say that the terror plots were targeting the games, um, which obviously is very scary. We were hearing from our delegation that there was no evidence, direct evidence. They didn't have any plans or anything that they found that showed that they were targeting the games. But the assumption was that because the games were there, 4,000 Jewish athletes in Argentina in Buenos Aires, and these arrests were made in Buenos Aires um, with a uh, 77 kilogram bomb that had been shipped to or explosive device that had been shipped that was that was, um, you know, uh, confiscated, um, it was intercepted, um, that the presumption was that the games were targeted. So security was absolutely very very tight. Um, um, so some people did decide to um, withdraw from the games, but um, beyond Canada, Chile, Colombia, Costa Rica, Cuba, France, Germany, Great Britain, Hungary, Israel, Italy, Mexico, Panama, Paraguay, Peru, South Africa, Switzerland, US, Uruguay, Venezuela, and one athlete from Zimbabwe, who happens to be a US athlete. Which, who I met, very nice guy, but he is a U.S. tennis player who was born in Zimbabwe. So there was one, one Zimbabwean that he 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 really likes to represent Zimbabwe at, at the games. I think he's done it at the other games too. So one one athlete from Zimbabwe. Some of those delegations were small. I remember Switzerland. I think had four athletes. Um, was pretty small. Um, other delegations, obviously Argentina, Brazil, um, Chile, Cuba, um, Mexico. Uh, uh, and the U.S. had had very large, large delegations. So most of the Pan Am countries were the largest delegations, but it's not limited to 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 country to um, countries and Pan American countries. So before we talk about your specific competitive events, um, can you talk a little bit about how October 7th affected the games and what that yeah. was like? Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, before we went, there were a lot of questions of security and where the game's going to go on and um, who was going to participate and um, Israel's delegation, what was going to happen with Israel's delegation. Israel had a delegation. It was a smaller, much smaller delegation than they would have they had planned on having. And I will tell you, I, I have to go back and look, but from my memory, most of the most of the teams were junior girls teams. So junior girls soccer, junior girls volleyball. Um, uh, there may have been a junior boys basketball. There may have been some other teams, but they were mostly junior teams. They did not have, there was one Israeli triathlete that came. And I will tell you at each award ceremony, he would speak in Spanish. He was fluent in Spanish, but I could at least understand about how, and he would get very choked up how much it meant for him to be there. And he was older. He was a master's athlete that I believe was probably above, I think he was in his fifties. He was probably above the reserve age, but he talked about how so many more people were supposed to come and couldn't come because now they're serving military because they can't come. Um, 
very, what was most moving to me on Saturday night that we were there, we had a special presentation on the girls volleyball team that came is entirely made up of girls. I mean, it was before, before October 7th and always had been, was entirely made up of um, girls from the Southern region of Israel. And every single girl on that team had lost either parents, siblings, aunts, uncles, grandparents on October 7th. And they didn't know they were if they were going to be coming. After October 7th, the entire team was was um, spread, dispersed out throughout Israel. They were in, you know, temporary housing all over. And on the Saturday night of um, of the games, we had an opportunity to hear from two of the parents of those girls who came and talked to us about their experiences. And I probably can't talk about it without getting really emotional, um, but they went through what exactly, I mean, these are families that hid in their safe rooms when, when there were terrorists in their house, shooting their house. These are families whose, whose parents, whose relatives were, were killed that day who were taken hostage. I mean, this is, they were, they actually had pictures. They went through their timeline. They had, they put up on the screen behind them, um, the WhatsApp messages going back and forth between family members. And, um, I mean, it was an extremely emotional opportunity to hear their firsthand experience. Like literally one of them, um, the father of, of one of the girls on the volleyball team is the head of security for his, um, his kibbutz. Um, and so he was like basically the first in line to respond and what he saw. And I mean, it is just, I don't even know how these families, these families managed to survive at least their core family intact. Um, but, um, they talked about how the opportunity to go to the Pan Am games for these girls gave them the first chance to like be happy and to celebrate that they'd had in three months and that they hadn't even practiced together for three months because they had been obviously you know, preoccupied with other things. And, but she said every single girl on this team has lost somebody or has, you know, somebody taken hostage. Um, but they, they also, what they saw and, and just the, that the smiles that they saw on their face this time were the first smiles that they saw on their faces for, for three months. And that, um, is, it was, it was extremely emotional. And I've seen the video, I didn't see the games, but I've seen the video footage of the Israeli team playing like the U S team and the other teams. And you know, what happens after that, they all hug, they all were like, they all became friends. Like it, it was such a, it, it was really, um, and everywhere we went, um, all of the hubs and all of the, you know, our dining, our main dining areas all had, um, uh, you know, all of the pictures of the, of the hostages up, bring them home, everything we did, um, you know, opening ceremonies when the Israel delegation came out, they had a big, you know, bring them home and the entire, arena of, you know, tens of thousands of people chanting, bring them home. Um, the new president of Argentina is a huge supporter of Israel. He was there, he spoke to us and he led a chant, bring them home. Um, it was, uh, it, it was, it hung over us the entire time, but it also was, um, like motivation and it was, um, a validation of why we were there and why we were there together and how important it was that we were there together and how important that um, the community, like the, the international community be there to support um, the support Israel. And it was just, um, it was, it was, it was emotion. It was an emotional kind of, I would say overcast to the entire um, games, but it was, while it was sad and devastating, it was also empowering and um, like really um, it was just, it was extremely, extremely emotional. So um, that was absolutely first and, and foremost in most people's minds and um, in pretty much everything that we did. Thank you so much for sharing. I'm emotional just listening to it. I wasn't even yeah. there. Um, 
just thinking about these young girls and how important sport is to their mental health. And, you know, what I think some people may not know is so many of these kids were not only devastated by October 7th um, because of the massacre itself, but also, of course, they lost their homes and they're all living in different places. Um, and who knows when they'll be able to go back. So it's even more impressive that not only were they not together and not able to practice together, but probably many of them didn't even have access to equipment or they didn't, coaching. they lost everything. They didn't even have, they didn't they have clothes. Everything. They didn't have shoes. They didn't have anything. So yes, it's, it was, it was extremely emotional and it, it, it um, it felt good to be there, to be, to, to witness that and to, to be part of it. And um, yeah, so like I said, it was, it was a, certainly a central focus um, of the games and, and kind of spilled over into everything. And, um, uh, you know, the Israeli athletes always got the biggest round of applause. And, the you know, when they came out, um, uh, you know, for the opening ceremonies, when, like I said, when the Israeli athletes would cross a finish line or would be up at a podium, like, everybody was standing up and everybody was cheering and everybody was hugging them. And, um, that felt, that felt good to be able to, to do that. So, um, yeah, so it was good. So, um, yeah, so I guess I should talk a little bit about the, <laughs> the athletic competition. So, so again, so, uh, I, I got to do the, um, cycling time trial and that was, um, one of the first days of competition. That was actually the opening ceremonies were on the 28th. The time trial was on the 29th. Um, and I was impressed with the number of, you know, I wasn't sure how many, you know, how many, first of all, to getting your bike there, it's, you know, it's, it's not easy. So how many, you know, how many athletes are going to, um, be on the cycling team and how many are, are, are be in the cycling competition? Um, uh, it, that one was not open to other athletes, but Argentina had a very big, um, delegation and, and um, uh, you know, and, and, uh, it was a, you know, a cycling time trial, you basically line up and you start one at a time, every 30 seconds, an athlete goes off from the ramp and you go um, out and back as fast as you can. So I like that kind of cycling because I don't trust myself in big groups and road race cycling when you're in a peloton and I don't have the best bike handling skills. So I don't mind. Um, I, I like time trials. That's my, that, that I will do a time trial. So, um, it was also split into two groups. So Maccabi man is, uh, uh, the um, kind of triathletes competition at the at, for the endurance athletes, and um, not only do they do a triathlon, they have four competitions actually over the course of the games. They do a sprint triathlon one day, but they also do three individual events on different days. They do the cycling time trial. They do the, uh, an open water swim that's three thousand meters that also swimmers do, and they do the half marathon. And they are scored and ranked separately. They're scored against each other and their cumulative time for those three events determines the winner of the overall, but they could also get medals in individual events and in the individual um, sprint triathlon. So, so did you I, ever think about doing that open swim? And no, and are you crazy? No, <laughs> not 3000 meters. <laughs> No, I really respected the, the triathletes on our team, um, uh, who's a high school, she's a, um, goes to Dartmouth and she's on Dartmouth cycling team and Dartmouth triathlon team. And I was like, I you know, props to you for getting in that water. Um, cause one of the bodies of water was not as clean as the other one. It did not look, it looked a little swampy to me, but, uh, you know, props to her. Um, so in the cycling time trial, they actually had two categories. They had Maccabi man and they had cyclists. So the first 39 athletes to go were Maccabi man triathletes. And those were scored separately from us. And then I think it was, we had about 60 or 70 or so, cause we're about over a little over a hundred total, um, cyclists that then went. And so you went, um, uh, by your race number. And I don't know how they assign race numbers, but I was, um, 
uh, like the fourth person to go. And Alex was like one of the last people to go. So actually I finished my out and back before Alex was done. I could actually go grab my camera, my phone and come back and watch him finish and cheer for him and, and video him coming in um, to the finish. And I did see him going because it's an out and back. So I actually did see him on the out when I was coming back, which was fun. Um, and uh, yeah, so, and you don't really know where you finish because everyone's starting in 30 second intervals and your time is your net time. So you don't really know into the end um, if somebody was faster than you, but came in, you know, after like Alex came in after me, he was much faster than me, but he also started like, like eight minutes after me. So, you know, if you're, you don't know where you stand. Um, so you kind of finished and you're like, I, I don't know where I stood. And um, eventually they got the results together and um, they do them by age group. So I will say, that worked somewhat to my advantage. So um, they do uh, 18 to 29, 30 to 39, 40 to 49, 50 to 59, 60 to 69. So it's age group podiums and age group medals. And so it turned out that I won the gold for, for 40 to 49, which was, which was really um, That's uh, awesome. surprising. I'm, I mean, Were you I like surprised? Like, did, did you know? Cause it's weird to no, yeah, I didn't know where you don't know, you know, cause racing so much of it right. is you're, near each other you pass people and to be in a time trial experience and having no idea until no idea end. just you go you do the best you can and hope that that's where you know it comes out so um yeah so i had no idea so that was really exciting and alex won the gold not only did he win the gold but when we looked at the overall results he was the second overall of all the cyclists maccabi man cycling um he came in right behind we had a very strong cyclist a uh, master cyclist from california who was our team coach actually for the cyclists um Gil Ron, he lives in California and he's, like I said, he's, you know, closer to our age, but he was, he came in first, Alex came in second. So overall, but Alex got the gold for open category and I got the gold for 40, 49 year old women, which was really neat for both awesome. of us to get gold medals. Like who, who would have thought? So, so the ramification of this is, so, so I will explain. So the run, if, if you are entered as a runner, so again, I'm entered as a cyclist. So I could have done the, the road race, but again, I would have a needed my road bike with me, which I did not want to bring another bike. And I don't trust myself in road race situations. Like, I haven't had enough experience that I would feel confident racing in that, in that, in that environment. So um, if, if you're classified as a Maccabi run participant, you, uh, there were actually three events. There was a one mile event, which was right after our time trial. So all of our runners came with us to the cycling event. And right after the cycling event was done, they had a one mile race. It turned out to be about 1500 meters. It was short, but they took them out the same course we did. They took them out about a mile and then had them run back into the finish line. So that's one mile event. And then a few days later, they had a 5k. And then the last day they had a half marathon. And then those runners are actually ranked similar to the Maccabi man, their times are combined. And then there was an overall, they could get medals for the one mile for the 5k for the half marathon, and then an overall ranking for Maccabi run. Now, what I did not realize when I agreed to say, okay, yes, I'm going to cycle and I will be classified as a cyclist that took me out of the Maccabi run category. So that did have a ramification for me on the half marathon because I was class of categorized differently. I was categorized as and other. <laughs> I was not Maccabi man and I was not Maccabi run. I was the other category, um, which means anybody who entered from the games, like some, you know, if another cyclist entered um, on any public. So anybody from, you know, there were probably, I don't know, maybe a hundred, I, I don't know how many, but there were a lot of art, like outside athletes that entered so they could have a, a normal size race. Um, so it's a little disappointing for me because it would have been nice to be ranked in my, uh, in my category. And it, it ended up working out well for me, but I feel like, like I said, I feel like it needs an asterisk um, because I won, I won for the open. I won, I got you know, first place woman, I got a gold medal, but had I been ranked, I, I was the first non-Maccabi runner to, I was the fifth woman to run, finish, 
the top four in front of me were all in Maccabi ranked. And one of them was in my age group, but she's my teammate, Melissa Perlman, who's an amazing, absolutely crush it, um, 41-year-old athlete runner who runs a 246 marathon. Um, so she ran a sub 120 half marathon. The marathon course did end up being a tiny bit short. So our times are probably skewed by just a little bit. Um, but uh, she, um, so she finished ahead of me. Um, and got the gold for 40 to 49. Now, had I been ranked with the Maccabi run, I would have gotten the silver for 40 to 49. But because I was ranked outside of that, I got the gold. So I feel like it was a little bit of like, yes, I got the gold, but really I should have gotten the silver. But it doesn't you know, matter. You got the gold. You got it the doesn't gold matter. Here. But it was a little just I was kind awesome. of in retrospect, if I could do it again, I probably would have gone on in and just been a runner. And just been categorized as a runner, done the one mile, 5K half marathon, kept all my stuff and running. Look, it was great. I won a gold in cycling. Like, that's really neat. But um, but it was funny because what they, who said, I forget who said, it was, I was, oh, when I crossed the finish line, they said, and here comes our first place, you know, in this, whatever category they called it. Um, uh, and they said, it's Lisa the cyclist. <laughs> and I thought... <laughs> That's really funny. I've never been Lisa the cyclist who finished a race. It's always Lisa the run. You know, it's like it was just funny that they said, "Oh, this is Lisa." You know, from USA, Lisa Levin, the cyclist. Last That's Lisa. so interesting. And That's, I was like, the cyclist. Funny, yeah. Afterthought that the time trial was the afterthought. You're uh -huh. going for running. Yeah, but <laughs> but you know, you know, I think it worked out for the better. I I mean, objectively listening to this, how special that you and Alex both won gold in cycling, you wouldn't have had yeah. that experience. And nobody cares, like you, you won a gold. Who cares right. if it's within your category or outside your category, you still won a gold. And I, it, know. I know. I feel like it just needed a little bit of it's explanation. Cool. It's and so it was, cool. It was awesome still to run it. And I was proud. I was happy with my performance. I crossed in my watch. We still haven't seen the like actual results. Like that's one thing there. You don't know where the results go there. Um, eventually get to see them. But um, my watch said 130.47 for a little bit of a short course. So I think it probably would have been closer to 132 if I, if it was a, it was a full course, but that to me, that's a good time. And a great I time to look, I haven't gone to look, I meant to do it before we recorded this, but I, I have it in my scrapbook downstairs. I am pretty sure my finish time from Chile 20 years ago was 132.50. I think that's my, that stands out in my head. It was definitely 130. I think it was 132 something. So I think I finished in about the same time that I did 20 years ago, which would, I, and I 20 years ago, before you did the race in Chile, you also ran Chicago. We, we exactly. talked about that. Right. Right. I didn't think yes. right with the same time with one yes. second off. That is so you are right, Julie. I did not even think about that. Yeah. So basically I've had about the same time, finish times uh, this year as I did 20 years ago. So, so the half marathon, I got to say was such a fun. Um, it was, the course was interesting. It was four out and back loops of about 5k ish, a little more. Yeah. So you saw people a lot, you saw your competition, you saw it, you gave high, but it was also like high fives and like, good job. And you could see my teammates. Like I knew where my teammates were and we could cheer each other on. Um, it was hot as heck. It was in the seventies when we started and it was totally unshaded. There was no shade. It was a totally open, you know, loop out and back and out and back um, with two water stop, like water stops at either end of the loop. So every about, I guess about every two and a half K you would get water. Is that right? Yeah. Two and a half K, two and a half. Yeah. About like about every two and a half K you get water. Um, so, so that was, um, so that was neat. And uh, Alex's roommate, who is a cyclist, pure cyclist, did enter the half marathon and came along. And I think he was the hit of the entire um, race because he wore his I love Jewish girls t-shirt and his 
um, nice Jewish boys socks. And he came and did it kind of, he has run before he's been on cross country. Like he has running experience. He has not run in quite some time. Um, and he decided to come run the half marathon, which I thought, which I thought was awesome of him. And, um, and it just afterwards, the award ceremony, um, uh, was really, uh, it's just, that's where we had a chance to like hang out with the other delegations and get to know them. Everyone trades, um, jerseys and, you know, like their, their jackets and does trades, like that's a big thing to do. And so we were trading, people were trading with other delegations and other teams and just talking to each other and finding out each other's Instagram accounts and like connecting on Instagram so we can stay in touch. And, um, and that was really, that was really cool to, to do that. And, and at every, um, every start line, and every um, award ceremony, uh, they played Hatikva, which is the national anthem for Israel, which again was very emotionally moving, and everybody sings, and it's you know really um, really emotional. But um, so that was really that was a really nice wrap up to the games, and for me, um, that was the last day of the game. So that was another kind of thing that was a little bit hard for me, is I was there for ten days, and my race was the last day, where literally we went back, packed up, and got on the plane that night. So I had been up. Um, we also had to leave our bus transportation. Everything we did, all the hubs and all the places we competed were about 45 minutes away from, from 45 minutes to an hour away from the hotel. So we had to be on a bus at 4 a.m. Uh, on our, our competition days. So we were up at like 3.30 a.m. So I will tell you, I slept really, really well on the flight home that night. But it, it, that was hard. That we, we talked about that. A lot of the athletes talked um, 20 years ago when I did it, it was actually before the opening ceremony. So I went into the opening ceremonies with a gold medal, which was cool. Here now, now they do it for, I guess, for the last several games, they've done it the last event. So that's hard when you're there and you don't, um, now that they've added the one mile and the 5k for runners, at least there's something to do, but that's kind of hard to be. I went from Friday to Thursday with nothing to do in between. So not nothing. I mean, nothing for me. I was not competing. So I was watching other competitions. I went to go see, you know, the other, other hubs and the other competitions competitions and um, hung out by the pool and hung out with people and, you know, and explored Buenos Aires. But, um, but to have to wait that long to do your race is, is, is tough, especially in, in COVID times. I don't think many people got sick. I did hear of a couple of people getting sick, but, you know, you're worried, you know, you get there and you're in good shape and then you've traveled and you're around people and you're worried about getting sick. There was, um, we had one runner. Um, she did the one mile, the 5k did great. She came down the morning of the half marathon and said she did not even think she could stand up. And we said, go back to that. She wanted to come to at least watch, but who wants to sit around watching when you feel she had like a fever, she was sick, she was nauseous, she was couldn't keep food down, like so bad. We said, go back up. I mean, that's disappointing. You come to compete and find out the line and you go wait that whole time. And the last day you come down with um, some sickness. We had a couple of people who were who were sick. We had another athlete who was sick, but he did compete and he actually ended up doing fine, but he also was not feeling great by the end of the trip. So I think that's really hard to be there the entire time and kind of be like, peak for fitness, but then you've got to wait for a week and sort of maintain your, it, let, it did let me heat acclimate. Oh my gosh. You know me, I love warm weather, but I, I either, as I'm getting older, I don't know what it is. I am less heat tolerant. And that heat kicked my ass. The first couple of days I was there, I like felt like I had lost all my fitness and it was, it was rough. I had to stop a couple of times and go in and buy drinks places. Um, I had even brought water with me, but I had to go refill it. Um, it, it was rough that reacclimate because it's it's summer there so which is nice because we had a lot of daylight so um even though our competition started at 5 30 or 6 in the morning the sun was up sun stayed up late so um but reacclimating like just a reminder to everybody if you're going and you're going to go run somewhere after you have not run in heat um it, it, it kicked my butt for the first few days so i was glad to have time to acclimate how did you know where to run and did they give you suggestions and and how did you maintain your fitness during those um 10 days 
That's a great question. So five years ago, I did go on a cruise from Buenos Aires. And I remembered my I actually looked at my Strava routes or my whatever my Garmin routes. And I remembered where I had run and it was pretty close to our hotel. Um, but really, um, I got there a day after most of the open athletes and my open athletes, the open athletes on our team had scoped out where to run. And they actually found a nature preserve that was about a mile from our hotel where most of them ran. I would run down there with them and then run on the kind of on the roads or the sidewalks on, on asphalt. The nature preserve was kind of trailish and I don't trust myself. I went in there one day and I felt like I was going to trip and, and probably fall on my face and I'm not used to running on dirt. So I didn't want to, all of a sudden be doing all my running miles on dirt. So, um, so I, I would run, um, there's a, it's called Puerto Madero. It's a port that's there and you can run around the port, um, up and down along the, um, the nature preserve is a wide, um, like kind of sidewalk, very wide sidewalk. And it goes and it's uninterrupted because it runs along the side of the nature preserve, which is a good, um, it was about a mile and a half. Um, so I would do out and backs there. Um, you know, you do have to be careful. The first day I went out, um, you know, they told us like, you know, certain areas don't go to the right here, go to the left instead. You know, that's the safer way to go. And I thought I was going the right way. And the first day I, my, our, our coach of our team told kind of told, gave me the lay of the land. Cause I got there later. I decided to go out for like a shakeout after my flight there. And I, he said, we already ran this morning, but I'll show you like where to go. And I'm just, you know, we both have this problem directionally challenged. So I'm like, okay. So I like go and I'm thinking of following his directions. And I ended up like, the bus terminal or the, or the train station, which as you know, in any big city is not like the safest area. I did not feel unsafe, but I realized I was not where he was telling me to go. And I had to like, and they tell you don't pull out your phone because actually one of the big issues there are pickpockets or, or um, motor scooters. that will come and literally just grab the phone out of your hand. So they're like, don't stand on the street with your phone, looking at your phone. And I'm like, shit, but I need to look at my phone. So I got to figure out where I am. So I'd quickly pull it out like somewhere quiet and look to see where I was. And I navigated my way that first day and figured out where I was going. Um, but yeah, that first day I was a little bit confused and, and needed to get my bearings. But once I got my bearings, um, super easy. There was a gym in the hotel. Some of the runners in our group who did not want to go out and run, uh, ran on the treadmill. Um, so, you know, I was tapering anyway, and, and, and the heat to me really like was, was hard. So I was shortening my runs. Um, but that's basically what we do. We, you know, somebody would send out a message like, Hey, everyone want to meet at eight 30 in the morning, we're going to leave from the hotel and we'd leave and go run down to the nature preserve. And then most people would go into the nature preserve and I'd go off in another direction and then just either meet up with them after they came out of the nature preserve or back at the hotel. Um, but you know, um, it, it was pretty, um, pretty easy to, to do that. And interestingly, the cyclists had more, more of a challenge because it's a city and where do you cycle? And um, same thing, the cycling coach had scoped out a loop and had taken Alex and some of the other cyclists um, to show them that loop. And they, they rode together every day. And then they, at our time trial, they were talking to the Argentinians and the Argentinians said, oh, you need to go to the bike park. So a few miles in the other direction, which they didn't know, is actually a dedicated bike loop. It's a 1K bike loop. And that has in, in the center of it actually has like a velodrome. And everybody goes there and that's where everyone rides. And Alex went and thought it was like the coolest thing. There's like hundreds and hundreds of cyclists on a closed cycling loop, which Alex usually doesn't like doing loops, but he said he didn't mind it because you didn't even realize you just, you get in with a group and all the teams were there from Argentina and it was really, it was really cool for them. So they did find that eventually. And then that closed for the holidays. It was closed. Um, so they went back to their, they had a, a loop though and it was nice because where we ran by this nature preserve and this loop that was it was a road but it was clear that it was very um dedicated to cyclists and runners and all the cars were very cognizant of cycle. i mean there were tons of cyclists out on this road loop as well so that's where they would go ride but the um the they also the the organizers um 
wanted to transport our bikes to the to the race site, which again was an, about an hour away ahead of time. They they wanted they, they said we can't take them. They won't fit all of us on the buses to go. So they wanted to take our bikes ahead of time. So uh, before even the time trial, the first day where they were there, they sent a box truck, <laughs> huge box truck with some some local mechanics like from a bike shop and said, just give us all your bikes. And everyone was kind of like, uh, uh, wait a minute. First of all, I'm not throwing my bike in this box truck to be then transported and like, you know, thrash, thrashed around and like, what's going to have is my bike going to be in working order when it gets to where we're going. And second of all, most people didn't want to part with their bike because they had to it'd be like saying to us, give us your running shoes and we'll keep them at the race site. And then when you get there, we'll give them to you. So, um, so what happened was um, most of the cyclists had two bikes. They had a time trial bike and a road bike. I had just my time trial bike. I did not mind letting it go because I knew I did not need to ride my bike before the one day before, you know, the, the, my competition was the next day. So I knew I wouldn't need it. So I let my bike go. Um, most of the other riders um, let their time trial bike go, but kept the road bike. And then our team organized a van to drive the morning of the race, take their bikes and them to the, to the, to the race site because they were not going to be able to get their bikes on the bus. So they did that independently. So that was a, more of a challenge for them was at first was, Oh my gosh, wait, are we going to have our bikes and where do we ride our bikes? So that I think, you know, for us, it's easy. We have our running shoes. We can go running almost anywhere. It's um, relatively safe, but um, the cyclists had a little bit more, more of a challenge of, of, of the logistics of the bikes. But um, yeah, so, so that was, you know, we finished with uh with the half marathon and went back and packed up and Alex had packed up my bike for me and had to go, um, uh, you know, we hung out for a while at the hotel till our buses left and got to the airport and got home. And I really like just, I actually, again, took a separate flight home from Alex. My flight got in three hours ahead of his. So I sat, I got the car and I sat in the cell phone waiting lot at JFK for three hours. Um, yeah, it was, that was a long, a long time, but it was fine. I you know, caught up on emails. Finally, could get good data, caught up on emails. Uh, you know, uh, it was fine. Um, and then we drove back from JFK the four hours. I don't know how we did it, but we did it. Um, luckily I had slept, but I really was just reflecting in all that time of like, that just happened. Like, you know, you just like, it's a whirlwind and you look back at it and it feels like you had a whole life experience in 10 days. Is. Like, I feel like that's the best way to put it is I feel like I had a whole life experience, like just everything, a new place, new friends, new experiences, watching Alex get to experience this, um, you know, just seeing the, the stories, hearing the stories of some, so many of these athletes. I mean, you know, my roommate's one story, but everybody has a story of how they got there and what they did to get there. And I, you know, I still can't wrap my head around like, and now that I'm back home, I'm like, did I really, did that, you know, did that happen Did that? How is that like? it feels like a whole other, uh, a whole other world. And, um, it's just been, um, it's been an amazing experience. So again, like the support of friends, family, whether it was financial and making contributions and donations or just, um, support, um, you know, the, the, the moral support, um, you know, you supporting me, you, you taking over the reins for so much, you know, I know like, you know, I was kind of off the grid and, um, you know, you doing so much and your support and your enthusiasm for it has just been, um, like I said, it's just, again, it's one of those, this is why I forgot why I wanted to go back. And now I remember why I wanted to go back because it's just an experience that um, is a lifetime experience. That's like one of the highlights of my life. So, um, so, so thank you for all your support and thank you for letting me talk about it. And if any of our, uh, of my teammates or anybody I met in Argentina is listening to the podcast, thank you for making my experience um, as special as it was. And Lisa, congratulations to you and Alex. It's really incredible that not only were you selected again to be on the team, but that you meddled again. It's just, that, that is outstanding. And 
I know you're very humble, but that is just the the odds of meddling twice in a 20 year period. Yeah, I'm going to stop now. I'm going to stop now. I think I'm good. I'm done. I'm good. Just, just call bookends, bookends of, you know, like, you know, so it was, uh, it was, it's, it was great. It's great. It was a pleasure. Uh, it is always a pleasure to support you. And I know I, I am not alone in saying it was truly just so fun to be a part of it and watch you, um, all of your posts and you're keeping us updated, um, through social media and hearing about your gold medal in the time trial was so exciting. And then of course, in the half marathon and just a uh, huge congrats, Cole Hakavode, you just did awesome. And, uh, yeah, I think I think a lot of folks out there may not know what this is, and now you do. And if anyone listening is interested, of course, in participating um, in the games in the future, definitely reach out to us. Um, Lisa, I know you would be happy to answer any questions um, about it and, and how to participate. And um, yeah, if there's any other parting words you have, I think now's the time. Otherwise we'll close off. And, uh, yeah, I think I've talked enough. I think I've, you know, I, I, I've reminisced enough and, um, yeah, I do. I would encourage anybody who is interested, please reach out to me. I'm happy to talk to you about, um, all of the logistics, the cost, the, you know, the process, um, the European games are coming up, uh, this summer, but I think they're mostly junior teams. I'd have to look to see what, who's going to the European games. Um, the next big opportunity is obviously Israel in 2025. It'll be the summer of 2025. That recruitment process and that application process starts very soon. I know the chairs of our teams were talking about getting back and starting to recruit already. So um, the list of, uh, of sports is on, if you look at um, Maccabi USA, maybe it's .org, but if you just Google Maccabi USA, um, you can see uh, under the different competitions, they'll list the sports, they'll list the ages. Um, again, this is open to you, 16 athletes, you 18 athletes. Open athletes are considered to be um, 18 through 20, 18 through 34, technically, I think, for most sports. Um, masters is 35 plus. Um, and then the masters do have age categories. So, you know, you're not um, necessarily competing against everybody, all the masters athletes, you're competing against um, your, your tenure, usually tenure age group. Um, and, and again, all different sports. So, um, you know, it's depending on what, you know, what you're interested in. And, and they also take um, trainers, athletic trainers, um, physicians, um, you know, managers. So all, there are lots of different opportunities to get involved. And if you have a skill or you have an interest in being involved in this, you don't have to be an athlete. There are other ways. So um, I, I, like I said, this has been an amazing experience and and one that will rank high in my life experiences. And um, I would love for other people to have the opportunity to do that. So please reach out. I'm happy, happy to talk to, to anyone about it. Absolutely. So we'll close off. This is for those who are running Boston. This is the basically the kickoff to uh, Boston Marathon training. And uh, I know many folks had the first sort of official long run this past weekend. And we're just here to say that we will be bringing all of you episodes throughout the season, as we always do, to help prepare folks for the Boston Marathon and generally spring marathons. And uh, also just one quick coaching tip before we go. Everybody's sick. It's that time of year. Uh, lots and lots of our runners are sick. I know I got sick after winter break and um, it can really knock you down. Don't feel like you're on a timeline where you need to rush back because you have a goal race. You're only going to put yourself more in a deficit. Take all the time you need to fully recover before you get out there and start training again. And don't feel that you have to run, even if it's an easy run to keep up. There's no need. When you're sick, lean into it. 
and recover and then get back to it. But don't feel pressure, just get better. Your health is important. And we've all been down this rodeo for so many years with COVID, but this year, especially, there are lots of folks that have been diagnosed with all kinds of fun ailments. And we just want to kind of give you some words of comfort in saying that you're not going to miss out by taking care of your body and missing out on your runs to do so. So happy new year once again, everyone. Lisa, thank you so much for sharing your amazing experience. It was really, really fun to hear it all in detail. And it was just really incredible. Many, many congrats and uh, have a great week. You too, Julie. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.